Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Smart, Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Supporting women is my passion and my purpose, and talking with other women and men who promote women's leadership is my favorite thing to do. Their stories connect us and help us understand that the possibilities are endless if we support each other and lift other women up. These amazing conversations gave me the stories and wisdom from my earlier book, Leading Women. And they also inspired my new book, which came out in 2019, called In This Together, How Successful Women Support Each Other in Work and Life. Now, this week, I'm pleased to welcome Stacy Tisdale. Stacy and I met at the National Diversity Women's Business Leadership Conference a couple of years ago when she interviewed me about my recent book. She was a powerhouse. She is the CEO of Mind Money Media. She's also the author and the pioneer in in behavior finance. Her award-winning career as a financial journalist has included reporting for CBS, CNN, PBS, and The Today Show, and being a contributor to the Oprah Winfrey Show, Good Morning America, and CNBC. Stacy is also the creator of Winning Plays Financial Education Program, which teaches children and women how to create healthy relationships with money, and won the Department of Education's Excellence in Economic Education Award. So I'm very pleased to welcome Stacy to Smart, Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Welcome. So glad to have you, Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Good to see you. It's been a couple of years, and... Uh, met you at the Diversity Women's Business Conference and so delightful to meet you. Uh, you know, you just got you just have this wonderful creative energy and, and you're I mean you're so easy to get to know just from the first moment I met you I thought, Yeah and plus we have the same last name, Tisdale. Yes we do. <laughs> We're distant cousins in some way, shape or form. <laughs> yes, we are. So so probably that was the reason because we are we go back somewhere in our family's histories and we are related. So I'm so glad to talk to you, and I'm glad you're healthy again. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, this is about you, and, um, you know, I do these podcasts, I do these interviews, these conversations, because it's women like you that I want other women to know about, because it's... You know, I have this campaign going on called Lift Women Up and it Lift As We Rise. And you're one of these women that is an inspiration and an example of how you support other women and what you do for women in general just to lift us up as you rise. So today I want to talk about you and your story. Tell me how you got to be you because you have an amazing story to tell. Wow, what a loaded question. <laughs> um <laughs> Only <laughs> it, it all um, it started with my parents and who they are and you know I am a firm believer that there is a higher form of intelligence that pulls the strings on all of this. So I was born to two amazing people, and uh-huh. my uh, father he ran the biggest anti-poverty agency in the state of Connecticut with uh, some breaks for politics in there. He was the first black to get the Democratic nomination for Congress in Fairfield County in Connecticut. He ran a very high-profile, controversial campaign. He was the first uh, black economic advisor for President Carter. And then after that, he went 
to run World Vision, which is a big humanitarian agency. He was the field director before returning to the agency that he started in Bridgeport, ABCD, which is that anti-poverty agency. So uh-huh. community service and giving back and diversity have always been just h- how I was raised. And yeah. my mother... Um, I call if my father's and I are hurricanes, my mother was Mother Nature. I mean she just was an incredible force of nature. She was an educator for all of her career, starting as a teacher, a guidance counselor, and then a principal, and got national recognition for her work as a principal because she was in Bridgeport, Connecticut. She'd go into you know very underserved, challenged you know, high crime areas, right, right. and when her, with her schools, she would transform the whole, whole community. She uh, lived by her own rules, so one of the first things she did at one of her schools was to keep the schools open six days a week and yeah. to give the kids a, you know, a place in that community to go. It yeah. uh, was a public school, but she still required them to wear uniforms just started so many programs it was interesting after my mother passed there was a school named after her the jetty tisdale elementary school and uh, michelle obama lifted that school up because of their arts program that my mother had instilled in that school and um, gave them a special presentation which was wonderful and all of these this type of work was just how you live Uh So they gave me, um, you know, they both grew up in the South. Um, They met at North Carolina A&T University and HBCU. And, you know, they both grew up very poor and wanted their daughter to have every opportunity. So I grew up very privileged in, um, you know, private schools. I showed a talent for figure skating very young, so I actually left home at 11 years old to pursue figure skating and lived and trained with coaches in places like Denver, Colorado, uh, mm-hmm. Lake Placid, New York, and Janesville, mm-hmm. Wisconsin. You know, always putting me in as, you know, the only black person in all white situations. I think in Janesville, Wisconsin, I was the only black person in the whole town. So it's very <laughs> interesting to be living that, but to be rooted in my parents' life which was all about helping the underprivileged and civil rights and yeah. that type yeah. of service. What that did for me is have me grow up kind of in two worlds where, that, where I didn't really fit in into yeah. either world. I, and, you know, the racial sure. isolation component, you know, I didn't quite fit in there. And then when right. I come back home, you know, in the black environments, I wasn't black enough or I didn't fit in there. So yeah. it kind of gave me an interesting perspective in that I could see a lot of things groups complain about is coming from both yeah. sides. Right. Like I was, right. I was being discriminated against from groups that were, you know, being discriminated against. So I got to yeah. see that, that part of human nature. And when I think, particularly my experiences growing up in, you know, when I went to high school, I had friends who I wasn't allowed in their homes. Oh, and wow. um, I still made such loving bonds with those people. I still, you know, I just made such loving bonds with people, you know, all different types of people that uh-huh. I saw from a very early age that there's a different level 
from where people connect than mm-hmm. is you know cerebral like all the you know all the, all things like racism and right. classism right. sexism they're all mind constructed but where people actually connect is at a much different level and uh-huh. that's where we have to go yeah boy that's that's so important right now I wish we could uh, market that right now and sell that right now, what you're talking about, because that's exactly what we need right now. I mean, we've always needed that, but we need this even more right now. You know, you really have to kind of step in other people's shoes, if you can, just to see where they're coming from or why they're coming from the way they are. And, you know, um, my my first experience, and, and I, I'm so glad I met you at the Diversity Women's Conference and she, Dr. Sheila Robinson, because I think for me that was the most one of the most important conferences that I went to and spoke at, because mm-hmm. I also grew up in the South, you know, but I also grew up in Washington D.C. area and 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 went through many many parts of history with integration and so forth and and you know really for me it was always about learning about both sides as well of course being a therapist uh working in in different uh, communities and different areas that was what what my goal was is to try to understand both sides of it but you know we're we're still struggling with all that even more so now it seems than we were many many years ago, and and I don't want to stay on this subject because it's it's really more important about talking about where we're going, and where you've been, and what you've learned, which is so extremely valuable. That if we could just teach every man, woman, boy, girl, no matter what their color, no matter what their socioeconomic background is, or their sexual preference, if we could just teach these things, empathy, you know understanding. It would be such a different world. It's an amazing different world. One of the things I love about Dr. Robinson's diversity conferences is the science. So many of our challenges are, uh, the solutions are much more in science and neuroscience specifically than where we're addressing them. You know, we all love the saying, trying to solve a problem the same way and expecting different outcomes is insanity. You know, the definition of insanity, which Ben Franklin said, but that's what we're doing. So as we touched on earlier, you know, our minds create perceptions and perspectives based on our own personal experience. Sure. And for example, um, the science of it, it takes eight encounters to eliminate a bias. So, for example, um, if you, um, like, if a white person has, you know, preconceptions about black people, once they actually have interactions with that person eight times, those biases kind of melt away. And I just finished a very interesting series called Real Estate Reset, which um, looked at the housing gap, and the goal of the series was to educate and inform all people about the role that housing plays in racism and in the wealth gap. Our government used the housing market to literally separate blacks and whites, literally. I mean, it was against the law for blacks to buy real estate. They redlined. And that segregation prevented the races from knowing each other. Yeah, absolutely. And and, um, then when you look at that science bit of it, that, you know, it takes, you know, interactions to reduce biases and eliminate biases, you realize how damaging those types of things were. 
So I think, you know, we all have conditioning, and that's why I'm, you know, a big proponent is I think this conver- a lot of these conversations need to be rooted in that unconscious bias space yeah. because yeah. we all have conditioning. And I think the dance and what I try to do with my work is to teach people how to navigate their own conditioning because bias well, is natural. Things yeah. are going to come up. And if you, yeah, learning how to manage that aspect of yourself is what I think where real, yeah. real change will come from. Well, you know, I, I use this example, you know, and again, all of my books are based on the unconscious bias that women have towards themselves, first of all, mm-hmm. and how the unconscious bias they have towards other women as well. And this happens with men, women, all of us. It, beliefs and attitudes are formed. You know, they, we talk about the empty vessel. When we're born, we're an empty vessel. So what do we start to get filled up with? We start to get filled up what we're what we're surrounded by, what we learn, we believe the beliefs, the attitudes that surround us, and the people that surround us. We become the people we spend the most time with. I mean, it's it's so logical that when we start to really think about it, why each person becomes the person that they are is is in some ways not surprising, not surprising at all. But it's for those like yourself that that have, that understand that these are the things that make most people behave the way they do, it gives us all an opportunity to really start to think about how we can change those behaviors and how we can have those exchanges that are so extremely important and so valuable. You know, my book's called In This Together. Until we all can come together, we're we're going to continue to struggle, and especially women. And women and money is a big, this is really probably my big push to speak with you. And, of course, women's relationship with money. These are, again, unconscious bias. But for so long, women depended on men for their money, for everything. And now uh, women are controlling the wealth. And with with women controlling wealth, anything is possible because, again, we are about relationships. But we're also about making sure the world is a better place. At least that's what I hope to think we are. So your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Women um, control the majority of the world's wealth. They're going to get even more because they live longer than men, so they're going to inherit wealth. Yet only 7% of women feel capable of uh, making strong financial decisions. So it's really a confidence gap here. And... um, Nothing can make you forget who you are quicker than money. So in uh, my book, The True Cost of Happiness, came about because I did a um, six-year research project into what drives financial behavior. That uh-huh. came about because of my career as a financial journalist. I've had, been a financial journalist for over 20 years. I was two years old when I started. And I... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just, uh, very lucky after graduating from college. I started my career on Wall Street, and I was cash manager at a commodities firm. And the firm went under, which is no reflection of my cash management skills. And right. it was actually a hostile takeover. And um, I had to really decide what I wanted to do. And I'd been, I think I've been writing since I came out of the womb. It's just what I do. Yeah, and I knew finance, so I literally picked up the phone and called the Wall Street Journal, and I, you know, sold them that story, and they hired me to be a um, money markets reporter for their newswire services. And I was there for a few years, and I had always had an interest in television, so I was able to move to their television department, 
where I was for seven years, Wall Street Journal TV, and from entry level to host anchor or broadcast uh, won several Emmy Awards. That was great. I left there, and I went to CBS. I uh, was starting a new business news division. I was the first on-air reporter there. I was at CBS for several years. I was at CNN for several years, PBS. And I tell you about all those experiences because it gave me a unique vantage point to see how people relate to money. Sure. And I became sure. very disturbed by what I saw in that two things. One, few things work as simply as money. Don't spend more than you have. Don't borrow more than you can afford to pay back. Don't invest more than you can afford to lose. But money, uh-huh. leading cause of substance abuse, leading cause of suicide, leading cause of depression, so there's clearly a lot more going on here than dollars and cents. Right. And I had the honor of I've had the honor of being the first black and the first woman to report from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And in my role as a market, and as a my role as a markets reporter at CNN, I was literally on the floor one day doing, you know, like here's five tips to help you get out of credit card debt. And the very next story was that the average American family has like $15,000 in credit card debt. And I just remember exploding. I'm like, what is it about money? There's all the information in the world is out there. And why is it that people, myself included, can't get it right? So my mother used to always say instead of DNA, I had (laughs) W-H-Y. So my why sent me on what I had no idea was going to be a six-year research project into what drives financial behavior. And I had access just to the greatest minds in the world, the greatest psychologists, economists, sociologists, financial planners. But the more I went into the study, the more I was being much more drawn to psychologists, even spiritual advisors, than I was. And the problem right. became simple. When we have trouble with money, we go straight to the numbers. I have to earn more. I have to spend more. Yeah. I have to save yeah. more. But the yeah. real causes of our financial choices have got nothing to do with numbers. They're the result of conditioning, which I call money scripts. And if you think of um, like actors following a script, they blindly follow, you know, yeah. they learn to well, follow these scripts, and we sure. blindly follow our money scripts. Yeah, when I have this amount of money, then I can do this and so forth. And if I have more money, yeah. I'll be able to go here and do that. Yeah, I mean, there's always a scenario that goes along with it, sure. Yeah, and our scripting, I identified three primary areas that affect our financial personalities, and there's childhood scripts, the way Uh you use the money, handled or not, discussed or not, whether you realize Uh it or not, when you were growing up, really sets your brain's view of what's right and wrong. Like, did you only see money discussed when there's an argument? Did you only see a man woman handling it? The second is social scripts, and, you know, those messages that we get from society about what it means to be normal Mm -hmm. and perfect. There's social scripting around gender. Um, mm-hmm. Women have been conditioned since the beginning of time to be nurturers. Men have been mm-hmm. conditioned since the beginning of time to be providers. That plays right. out today in things like the pay gap. And right. you know, women and men value money differently. And there's also social scripting around ethnicity and race. There's some um, racial groups that are perceived to be bad with money, like blacks are perceived to be financially illiterate. There's some racial yeah. groups that are perceived to be good with money. So we take this conditioning, and that's what I'm saying, the dance is learning how to manage, and it imports our belief system, it imports our choices, and we do it unconsciously. So yeah. our 
job is to figure out what are those messages that are driving us and what do not serve who we really are and what is really important to us. And we'll literally change that scripting and those behaviors will change. And the big picture of what you're touching on is what we forget about our, our superpowers. We forget about our transcendence. You know, all of these things that we identify, I'm Stacy, I'm a black woman, this makes me this. Yeah. Those are all, that's the story I'm telling myself. That's the narrative that I've given myself. Sure. Who I'm, human who beings, I? Yeah. yeah, human beings, there's just so much more to us. You know, we're born perfect. We're born with everything. We're near, the ability to learn, yeah. the ability to problem solve, mm-hmm. creativity, innovation. Yeah. That's who we really are. And it, all those labels just fall away. And that's when you can really get into manifesting and, you know, just having that stuff just not matter. Yeah. But, you know, Stacey, we've, we've got to be careful what we read, what we hear, and what we see, because a lot of it is just, it's made to create those those reasons why we'll be depressed or anxious or why we have to have this. Marketing. I mean, what does the marketing do? When you when you see an ad on TV or hear a radio ad or read something, it's always telling you you need this to be better. You need this to have this. You To be the perfect whatever. I mean, so we really have to be very, very careful, not only to understand our thinking, but to be careful what we read, what we hear, and what we see. And we don't have to believe that. Like you said, the superpowers and really trusting in ourselves. But isn't that one of the things that women really, really need more than anything is to really believe in themselves and to have the self-esteem and to really have the power to do all those things? We have to take responsibility and personal responsibility for the meaning that we make out of things. Right. For, you know, a circumstance will come up. The meaning that we make out of it in our minds we have to take responsibility for that. I'll give you a great example. Um, one of the a great financial planner, uh, George Kinder, and when I started my research into um, life planning, which is a form of financial planning that makes you take a holistic approach to money, um, I did some research with George. And this is a good exercise for everybody. Um, he begins his financial planning process by having people think about three questions. The first is, if you had all the money in the world, and if money, like money was never, ever, ever going to be an issue, how you don't have to worry about making it, you don't have to worry about preserving it, money is not going to be an issue for the rest of your life, what would you do with your life and your time? The second, you go to a doctor, and they tell you that you have five to ten years left to live. If you have five, you're not going to get sick, it's going to be a sudden death. If you find that you have five to ten years left to live, how would you change your life? Where Mm -hmm. would you be? Who would you be with? And the third question, we go back to this doctor who we don't like very much, and they tell us, this is it. Today is your last day. It's not what would you do with your last day. It's like what are your regrets? What are the things you wish you'd done in this precious life that's about to end? So when you think about those things that will help you, you know, clarify your priorities. And if you, and if, when people are thinking about their questions, they'll notice that for those few minutes they're thinking about them, all of that, you know, baggage about, you know, women or this, men or that, whatever, yeah. it's not yeah. there. 
It's just, you know, going to deeper your own place. So, who it, you are. Yeah, to your own Yeah, like think in every yeah. religious and spiritual practice out there, there's this yeah. concept of witness awareness. Sure. Being able sure. to witness the, all the thoughts and stuff you have, being able to witness them without identifying with them and realizing that there's more to you. That's where all of this stuff falls away. Because if you get into a mental yeah. fight with it, you know, it's going to stay that. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. If, if each one of us took total responsibility for every moment of, their, of our existence, we'd be much different. You know, we would be accountable and, and, you know, moment to moment. But, yeah, I think the responsibility is extremely important and the accountability. And, yeah, I, I love these questions. It's, uh, and, of course, I think there's been a lot, a lot of that going on, especially with the pandemic and, and people really, really deciding what's important, what is important to me. You know, the relationships I have, the people I spend time with, what I do in my job. Business is going to be much different than it was before COVID. Business as yeah. usual, don't you think? Don't you think? Oh, definitely. And in some ways, I think it'll be better. I think it'll be a lot better. Because we, we yeah, I really, think so too. We really have to know. We, I think more of us, more than ever, are saying, these are the people I want to spend time with. This, these are the things that really make me happy. This is the way I'd really like to see the world look. You know, and, and last but not least, uh, you know, you talk about giving. You know, you come from a very philanthropic family. But giving back, you know, and teaching that whole concept of that responsibility of helping those that need help and those that are weak or are, are not as strong and those that need our help is extremely important. You know, I, I came out of the womb that way. You came out of the womb riding, but I came out of the womb coming from a family that said, you help those that need help. You help those that need your assistance. You do. You're here in this world to make it as equal as possible as far as any, any way possible. But uh, I think the relationship that <clears throat> women have with money has to change. Because you're right, we're going to be living longer, we're going to, we're going to be controlling more of it. But I, I'd say right now, Stacey, if, if a lot of us were in charge, the world would be a much better place. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think? I say big yes, because um, women were, you know, we are built to manage a lot of things. And yeah. you know, whether we have children or not, we're designed to take care of things in a commun- in community. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, you learn so much by people uh, people by reading their financial roadmaps, and women perform much better than men at investing, and that's because um, women are goal oriented, yeah, and men are return oriented. Right. And that goes right. back to that old, you know, that conditioning. I mean, a guy's been told since the beginning, of, you know, time, you have to provide and protect. You have to hide your emotions. You have to do this. And women have been conditioned to nurture. And we hear, I had an interesting conversation yesterday about, you know, women self-advocating, not negotiating. And that's just true. I think yeah. um, I was looking at a study of graduate students and 7% of women negotiate their first salary versus 52% of men, not negotiating your first salary will cost you $500,000 over uh, by the time you're 60. Yeah. And the person I was talking to that kind of jumped on the, well, it's going back to the blame the woman thing. That's not what I'm saying at all. No, no. I think we mm-hmm. need to honor our differences, but know thyself. So if I, I really don't care about money, 
But knowing that about myself means I really have to look up, okay, what is the standard salary for this? What should I be asking for before I go into the negotiation? Because it's not going to be natural or important to me to negotiate, and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. It yeah. just means to be valued, I need to know that tendency about myself so that I can manage it. Yeah. No, the, a- absolutely. That's, uh, we talk about that in the book, that women need to negotiate before they walk in the door because, y- y- you know, you're already determining what your value is. And women, ha- women are valued. We are valuable. We are, we are deserving. We have many talents and abilities, and, and you've got to walk in the door with those things all in the back of your mind. You know, Stacey, we could go on forever and ever because I, I really do enjoy this, this psychological, this, this wealth relationship issue. And if women's relationship with money is going to be more and more important than ever. And, and of course, your winning plays, uh, we're not even ta- we haven't even talked about what you're doing for women and, and girls as far as education. But I think we're on a, on a good track, even with the pandemic, with the, with the administration, Gosh, I hope so. I mean, the words I'm using now are hope. The words I'm using now are empathy. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future more than I have been in the last year. But, but your, your positive approach and your important approach about how we deal with our biases and how we deal with our beliefs are so very, very important. And, and people should go out and buy The True Cost of Happiness, the real story behind managing your money, because... I think we, we really have to have, we really have to understand how that all works in our lives. I think all we right. learned I, a very valuable lesson recently. We all saw what happened with GameStop stock. Yeah. And not that these, you know, that we could a whole, have a whole other conversation about investing and why you do have to really return to a company's fundamentals to make investment choices. But the lesson in that was, when people came together collectively and when they organized their financial power, uh-huh. I mean, legislators jumped. They were calling hearings like within a couple of days. And that's what, yeah. it's not that women don't have the power. It's embracing your power. We, yeah. we control yeah. the, the wealth of the world. If we organized our efforts, it's not that we need the world to change. We are the change. We have the power yeah. within Ooh. us. And it's just, or, you know, owning it, owning the power that we have. You know, I, my favorite mantra, money mantra is, you're already perfect. If you don't believe that, it's due to a poverty of your understanding. Get rid of that understanding and you will become rich. We have yeah. the power. If, if women, if we pooled our capital and only invested in companies that were respectful of us, and only invested in companies that had inclusive corporate cultures, and we could change that tomorrow. Money, well, people listen when there's a financial organization, organizational structure behind it. Well, I'm, I'm all for it, and I think it's time. And uh, By the way, Stacey, I have a very good relationship with money. I like it a lot. <laughs> I, I do. I, and, and, and also giving back is, is extremely important to me. It's extremely important. And, and I think you're absolutely correct. Women can change the world, and we, we've been doing it, but we need to do it a little bit more loudly and toot our horns a little bit more. I do these uh, video presentations day to day, and, and one of the things that I say is that you're, you, just remember, you're unique, you're special, there's nobody like you in the whole wide world. 
and that's exactly who you are as well. So yes. I, I want people to go to your website. You've got a multitude of, of wonderful videos and written material. So tell us how we can find more about Stacy Tisdale and get your book and learn more about your, your winning ways and the financial programs that you're offering and you're doing for so many to help this world to be a better, better place. I'd be honored if everyone would take a second and just visit mindmoneymedia.com. And uh, it's all there, and there's ways to contact me. But um, my website is mindmoneymedia.com. And I've also recently launched a platform targeting the black community with Angela Yee, who is a powerhouse. She's the co-host of iHeartMedia's The Breakfast Club. That's called TeamWealthWednesdays.com. And there people can take a pledge, and then we will send them weekly free information, resources to help them with their careers, to help them with their entrepreneurial endeavors. Women are a focus for us. We have a um, program up there with Gloria Steinem, where we look at the history of black women, wealth, and home ownership. And um, you can get to all that. Again, my website is mindmoneymedia.com. And this new platform that we just launched last week is called teamwealthwednesdays.com. Yeah. Well, and, and if Women Can Act for Good can continue to promote and do whatever we can for you as well, Stacy, please know that that's what Women Connect for Good does is support other women's passion, dreams, and, of course, making this world a better place, which that is what you're doing. So any way we can continue to support and promote what you're doing, just let us know because we'll, we'll do that. That's what we do. So thank you so and much. And I so appreciate time. you and that we <laughs> were able to connect. I know it's been a long time because this is just a, the year that um, we just were launching a lot of new initiatives and programs and stuff, nope. and I echo all that you do and I would uh, just like to put it out there. We would be honored if you would send us your book information so that we can put it on our Power Reads list Absolutely. for our readers. One one of the things that I definitely would like for you to join us the Lift Women Up campaign, which is a campaign to lift all women. We lift as we rise, and you're one of those women that are lifting and lifting and lifting. And if we every time that we lift and we rise with another woman beside us, above us, below. I mean, we, we're standing on our shoulders that we have so many to thank, but we continue to lift those that can continue to make this world a better place. You know what? We can do it. We can do it. Definitely. We are doing All it. All right. Well, I, you, you haven't heard the last from me, and I know I haven't heard the last from you, but I'll look forward to our next time. But, again, we'll send you information, but send us information also that we can also help promote on Women Connect for Good. Thank you, and thank you for all that you're doing to lift us up, Nancy. It's truly appreciated. All right. Well, thank you. All right. We'll talk, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Yes. Bye-bye. If you enjoy these smart, amazing conversations, please subscribe, rate, and review them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you.